already it is the end of 2018 and we, we couldn't we couldn't finish this year without getting the three amigos together the three of us myself doug mcintyre paul tenorio to wrap up what was uh, a mixed bag of a year 2018 and to look ahead at what should be an exciting 2019 in the american soccer world so i gotta say what's going on guys how are you guys doing today good ivis how are you man good to catch up with you before the end of the year we said we were going to do this uh, again before the end of the year so i know you're a procrastinator but i'm, I'm glad we're actually getting it done on new year's eve so uh, can check that box yeah, promises made at the bar at MLS Cup must always be followed through on. We, we you know, that, that's a rule. I was, I was literally waiting by my phone, waiting for one of you to call to make it happen. I was because I was really procrastinating. I, I think I would have waited till about 11 p.m. tonight and then tried to get, tried to get us to do it. But uh, I'm glad, I'm glad Doug made the first call and then we were able to actually uh, put this together because uh, there's obviously a lot, lot to talk about, and I, know, and I know people are curious to hear our takes on some things. Obviously, we all write our share and put our stuff out there, put our thoughts out there. But this is a good, you know, we had such a great time the last time we got together that, you know, I think we all agreed that we, we had to get together one more time and talk about the year. Uh, and it was a, it was a up and down year. And I think we can all agree that, you know, it, there there were some really great things about 2018 and there were definitely some 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 bad, uh, disappointing and, 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 you know, frustrating aspects of 2018 as well. Uh uh, one one topic that kind of I think encompassed all those emotions, especially for U.S. fans, was the U.S. national team coaching search, and it finally came to an end after 13 plus months of, of waiting for the next coach. And Greg Berhalter is the new, is the new U.S. national team coach, and he heads into 2019 ready to uh, help rebuild the program. So I got to ask both of you: uh, Are you glad it's finally over? Number one, and what do you think overall, just about about Burhalter being the cho- being the choice. Um, yes, obviously, very glad it's over. Um, and and I think you know at the end of the day, the, the the one thing U.S. fans can be happy about is that I do. I personally think that Burhalter is the right guy for the job. I think he he ticks a lot of boxes uh, that frankly not a, not a lot of other candidates um, that might have more impressive resumes uh, to to some people. Um, you know, tick. So you have a guy that is the first U.S. coach to ever play in a World Cup for the U.S. Uh, to coach the team, and I don't think that should be overlooked. I think that there was—I don't want to say a lack of pride, but something along the way went missing with the national team, um, particularly under the, the Jurgen Klinsmann era, where they really got away from the the the, the way they played that helped that program punch above its weight for. A long time. I mean, I think everyone knows, we certainly know that the U.S. player pool has a long way to go. I think if you stack up player for player, the U.S. pool against a lot of a lot of national teams around the world and not just the elite teams either. The U.S. is way behind. I mean, that's that's the reality of the situation. Um, and uh, the way they were able to get results is by being a good team, by playing for each other. And that stopped happening under Jurgen Klinsmann and when, when Bruce Arena came in to try to get the U.S. to, to, the, to the World Cup, um, you know, two games into the hex, it was too late to put it back together. So I think that, I think that Berhalter is, is well positioned to, to restore some of that. If you talk to the guys that played for him in Columbus, they swear by him. And he certainly has a plan. He's detail-oriented. 
Um, but I also think he has his work cut out for him. I mean, uh, you know, there's, there's now, you know, we, we all thought that it was probably impossible for the U S to not make a world cup, uh, or at least very unlikely. And now that that's happened, I think that the players are going to, going to have to overcome that mentally. Um, every time they step on the field, there's going to be more pressure this cycle than there ever has been before the first bad result. In qualifying, um, you know, the, all the, the negativity is going to start to creep in. And we're really going to find out what this young young group that really doesn't have a, a lot of veteran players to help guide them through some of those tough moments. We're going to find out what they're made of. Um, so having a guy like Burhalter at the helm, he's, he's calm. He's going to stick to his plan. Um, I think that that's I think it's a step in the right direction uh, for, for the U.S. team personally. How about you, Paul? Yeah, I, I, I would agree. Look, I think what's interesting is we get into these, and by we, I mean kind of U.S. soccer fans and the conversations. It's like, oh, he's an MLS guy. Therefore, he's not a, a, the right fit. Like, we need to get somebody from outside of the U.S. soccer circles. You know, Greg Berhalter spent 70% of his career coaching and playing combined in Europe. He, he, he spent 15 of his 17 years playing in Europe, not in MLS, just two years playing in MLS you know, a year and a half coaching in Europe, obviously the last five years coaching in MLS. So he, he is, as Doug alluded to, he is uniquely qualified. He, he played for the U S in a world cup. He's played in Europe in several different countries. He's played in the U S he's coached in Europe. He's coached in the U S he's going to be able to relate to players um, from all different backgrounds and all different experiences. I think at a level that will really resonate within that group. And that's especially important in this U S group particularly because MLS and the U.S. soccer structure is so unique compared to the rest of the world. So having that strong understanding of the U.S. soccer culture, of the U.S. soccer hierarchies and the way that the league is laid out and the way people come up through U.S. soccer development is critical. And then to have that European experience where you can connect with some of these young players who are beginning their careers overseas, I think is really important. And then, you know, you get to the soccer side of it. And I am I've always been struck especially over the last two or three years by Greg Berhalter's style of coaching, you know, the attractive way his teams play, the fact that he was able to instill an identity uh, in Columbus that was so clear um, and, and was transferable no matter what players were coming in and out of the team, you know, all of those things I think are going to matter in the national team. And I think we're already starting to see it a little bit. Even when you just look at this first January camp roster, you know, he is, we probably all had conversations with guys that have been in the national team that say sometimes it's not necessarily the best players that end up making the best team on a roster. Sometimes it's the guys who fit the best. And I think we're already starting to see some ideas about, you know, Greg Berhalter looking for players who best fit the system he wants to play. And obviously you still bring in your most talented players, but I think he's, he's got really good ideas about how to move this team forward. So, you know, after the way that this whole year unfolded with Dave Sarakin as the interim manager. Um, I think there should be a little bit of relief, obviously that, that this is moving forward, but you know, finally uh, some optimism may be that there, there is somebody who can move this program forward and it doesn't feel like we're just kind of going in circles um, the way, the way we did in 2018. Now, now look, there, there was definitely a mixed reaction and, and it felt like almost a little bit m more negative reaction to, to when Berhalter w was officially hired. And even though we all kind of had a sense for months that he was going to be the pick, 
I really think it just came down to the fact how long this whole process was really just kind of soured everyone on the, on the process. And it really ended up affecting everyone's perception of, of Burhalter as a pick. And obviously, look, I've known the guy for, for 20 years. He's a Jersey guy. So everyone's going to assume I'm a little biased when it comes to Burhalter, but I can't help but look at the situation and think back to what, what was going on a year ago. Uh, if you think about, take you, if I take you back to October, November of 2017, when the Columbus crew are, are making a run through the playoffs and eliminating Atlanta United and Tata Martino and uh, beating up on an, an, you know, a, a favored NYCFC team. Now, if Berhalter had been hired then, would, would, it, would the reaction have been as negative as, as it was now this past uh, you know, a month ago? I, I think absolutely not. But I think with this process and just the way it dragged out, it just gave people more time to find issues with it, more time to, to, to say, why aren't these other people being, being interviewed and being considered? And, you know, I've been in that boat as well in, in terms of some of the, you know, candidates. When you, when you take this long to find a coach, you should probably look at a few more coaches than they ended up looking at. So I totally get why a lot of people were, were unhappy with the process itself. But I can't help look at Ber, but look at Burhalter and think if he was hired a year ago, Right. People would have been would have been, I think, fine with with the appointment at the time. But this process, the way it went, uh, it just left people wanting. It left people feeling like all this weight for, for this guy. And, and, and it's a, it's unfair to Berhalter, but he he knows how, how it goes and he, he understands it. He understands that, you know what, he's going to have to win peop, some people over who who didn't. Who, who are still skeptical of the process, who still buy into the conspiracy theories. And we've all heard the conspiracy theories about, you know, his brother, Jay Berhalter, pulling the strings on this whole process and, you know, the fix being in, so to speak. And it, all he can do is put the work in. And, and I agree with, with both you guys in, in thinking that he actually can do this job. Uh, he is a good tactician. He is a good man manager. He does have that that unique background where he's played in Europe coached in Europe he understands that that mentality having been over there and is and he's 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 not he's young by national team coaching standards as well and and I think that that will help him when you consider the generation that's coming up now because there's a young there's a super strong generation of young talent coming up that's going to play a huge part in the next cycle and I think he's pretty well positioned to to kind of take advantage of that and really kind of connect with that group so we'll see if he can do it um, you know, I, I've been a skeptic of Berhalter in the past. Uh, I remember when he got hired by the crew, I wrote a column saying it was, you know, it was a bad hire. <laughs> and and I, I'll, I'll gladly say I was wrong on that front. And we'll see. Uh, we'll see if he proves people wrong again this time around with the national team. So uh, obviously that was the big story of 2018 was was Berhalter's appointment in terms of American soccer. Uh, but there were a lot of other a lot of, a lot of other uh, subjects and, and topics and players that emerged. We have to talk about some of the breakout players in 2018. Um, and Doug, I'll let you start with who who was a player that kind of broke out for you or that that really impressed you, kind of emerging in 2018. Well, if we're, if we're going to talk on a worldwide scale, um, and, and I want to blow my own trumpet here for a second, we have to talk about Kelly Mbappe. And the reason I, I bring him up, I mean, obviously, first first teenager to score in a World Cup final since Pelé, and everyone knows that now. If you guys remember the last time we did this um, back in, uh, I think it was May, right right before the World Cup uh, started, a few weeks before it started. Uh, it was actually after that because it was after the U.S. friendly in June. And you asked uh, both of us, Ivis, uh, who, who our, our breakout player for the World Cup is. And I picked Kylian Mbappe, so I'm feeling pretty good about that pick <laughs> nice. now. Uh, there you um, go. 
And he's a he's a terrific player, and I, and I think he's a guy that um, he doesn't get. I, I still don't think that people are talking about him in the same breath as as even someone like Neymar, his his teammate um, at Paris Saint Germain, and and everyone's looking for the heir apparent to Lionel Messi. Uh, to Cristiano Ronaldo, both those guys, they've been so good for so long, both in their 30s now. Uh, you know, they had a stranglehold on on the World Player of the Year for so long. And, and I think we probably all agree that uh, Messi was the best player in the world, still is the best player in the world, with all respect to Luka Modric, who had a, a terrific year and a, and a terrific World Cup. Um, but who, who are going to be the next guys? And, and I think that the fact that Mbappe is still in France and maybe doesn't get uh, some of the exposure uh, of some other players. Um, I still think he's underrated. I think he's, I think he's a, a special talent and I think he's a guy that's going to be, is, is going to emerge as, as the best player in the world over the next couple of years. I mean, he, he has everything. He has the, the skill, the brains, the speed, the explosiveness, uh, everything. So I'm, I'm curious to see uh, what he can do uh, to sort of up his profile even further in, in 2019. Well, no question the talent's there, and we saw that uh, we saw that at the World Cup. I think the question with Mbappe is, is consistency and, and, and doing it on the club stage, in the Champions League, in the, in the biggest rounds. I mean, he, he, he did it again with, with Monaco before uh, when he was even younger, so it's not like he can't perform at that level, but I think people want to see him be more consistent even in, even in the French League. I mean, we see games where he's just untouchable, but then you see games where he can be a little invisible. So I think that's what people are still waiting to see, and, and, and it's easy for people to forget how young he is, and, and it's not easy for a teenager to, to be that consistent. So, uh, I, you know, we'll, we'll see how he does in 2019 if he's ready to, ready to take it to another level, even though winning a World Cup and scoring in a World Cup final is, 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 is as high a level as you get. So uh, but in terms of uh, – Paul, give me, your, give me your international players. Since we're going to start with international players, um, who, who's an international player that, that, that impressed you or broke out for you this year? Well, look, I, I know we are all familiar with CONCACAF, and this is a name that we've, we've talked about a lot um, over the last few years. But Chucky Lozano, um, he's a guy who, who was dominating in Mexico, went overseas, I think landed in the perfect spot at PSV, had a good World Cup too, by the way, showed his potential at the World Cup with Mexico. And, and this year in Holland has been fantastic. And, um, you know, we're seeing the results of that. I mean, we're seeing, um, that PSV is rating him in, in, you know, the range of 40 million euros in a transfer. And so for me, you know, even though he's someone that we've been familiar with for a couple of years now, I look at this year as being certainly his big breakout. And even though it's been such a breakout year for him at, at PSV, I could see him going to the Premier League. I could see him going to a top Bundesliga team and having another breakout year in a way next year in 2019. So, you know, for me, Chucky Lozano is my 2018 guy, and he might even be my 2019 international player to watch because, you know, depending on where he lands in the January transfer window, you know, he could have another massive year going forward. Right. Well, it's going with a Mexican player, man. You, you think you're going to offend some of our uh, some of our U.S. national team fans talking about uh, about Chucky? And I always find it interesting when people talk about Chucky and Christian Pulisic, who's better. And and obviously, American fans aren't aren't, aren't going to be impartial in that conversation. But that's a that's a discussion for another time. Uh, as far as for me, young a young player who really impressed me this year, and as young as he is for, for to break out the way he's broken out, um, Jaden Sancho. 
Uh, obviously, for U.S. fans who want to watch Christian Pulisic, unfortunately, more often than not, they're starting to see him on the bench, and they're seeing Jaden Sancho uh, emerge, the uh, the English the English standout. I mean, he's 18 years old, and he is already uh, really hitting his stride as a dominant player for Dortmund. And uh, he's a guy who, you know, we'd heard about coming up on the U17 levels and in the youth ranks for England as being this top prospect. But the the, the ease with which he's been able to now dominate uh you know in the Bundesliga the way he's done uh it's hard it's hard not to be impressed by that and you have to start looking at that England team uh obviously they had the great world cup and they have a they they have that group of guys that was in Russia that got them their impressive finish but Sancho is now part of that that younger generation that just cleaned up uh in the youth world cup ranks so I tell you what things are lining up pretty well for England and and Sancho looks like he's really going to be kind of the centerpiece of that that next wave and uh I'm definitely interested to see how how far he can go uh as a player but but enough about the international guys we have to talk about American players I know people want to hear who who we're looking forward to seeing I'll start with with uh you know obviously I'll be a homer here I have to say Tyler Adams had a had a great 2018 uh he really in a year that was a little bit lackluster for the U.S. national team I think he took real full advantage of uh, of of the opportunities that came in 2018 and obviously now he's earned himself a, a transfer over to RB Leipzig in the Bundesliga and his 2019 could be even bigger but I really think 2018 Adams showed showed the entire American soccer community that he is a special talent and he is going to be a key figure in this next cycle so uh, I'm excited I was very excited to see him kind of break out and really show what he can do and he he's he's a special kid I mean not just in talent but in mentality that's what you hear a lot about him people who know him people who talk to him and play against him that he has the mentality of a grizzled veteran and he's 19 years old so I'm definitely looking forward to seeing what he does in the Bundesliga so uh Paul who's your who's your American breakout player for 2018 we're gonna keep it in your backyard Ivis because I think it's Aaron Long and you know this is a guy who's got one of the more interesting journeys in American soccer drafted to the Portland Timbers you know would drop down to USL ended up with the Red Bulls in USL and and then worked his way into the first team as a center back was it was a converted defensive midfielder and has really you know this year obviously the MLS defensive player of the year um, really broke onto the scene both both in MLS and with the national team earning his his first call-ups under Dave Sarakin and I think putting himself into the conversation in one of the deepest positions in this national team pool right now um, you know maybe it's going to be tough for him to to beat out Matt Miazga or John Brooks but I think he's very much in the mix for uh a starting job. And I think Greg Berhalter's style might work well for him. You know, he's able to, to play um, a little bit more with the ball at his feet than his partner at the Red Bulls, Tim Parker, who's a little bit more of the physical guy. Um, I think Aaron Long had, you know, a fantastic 2018 season. And, you know, for me, he was, he was up there as one of the, the biggest breakout players, uh, both on the club level and on the national team level for Americans in, in 18. And I know you were gonna get a little Tim Parker shade in this conversation. I like yeah. it. I like it. Uh, but no, I agree with you, man. As far as Aaron Long goes, uh, we we're already starting to see the reports of interest uh, in Europe uh, for his services. And you know, I know the Red Bulls don't want to lose any more players, but if if Aaron Long makes that jump over to Europe in the near future, I think that could definitely help him as he tries to battle some of these other guys in that loaded center back position for the national team. And I agree with you. Stylistically, he could be a ideal fit for the way Burhalter plays. So uh, that's definitely one. He's definitely one to watch going forward. Uh, so, Doug, 
uh, close it out for us. You started with Mbappe. Now give us the American uh, that that broke out for you in 2018. Yeah, I like both your picks, guys. Uh, huge fan of Tyler Adams. Uh, huge fan of, of Aaron Long as well. I, I think Adams is going to be a hit in Germany. Um, great kid, and, and I agree with both you guys on, on Long as well. I, I think the future for him is, is bright and, and may well be overseas. Um, but I'll, I'll talk about a. I don't think you cannot talk about Josh Sargent and what he's done uh, uh, over in Germany um, this, this year. I mean, 18 years old, um, wasn't able to play for that team until until this season. And this is a guy that it's very rare you see a guy who's never played a minute of professional, uh, you know, at the first team level starting for his national team. And that's what Josh Sargent ended up doing this year, really because, you know, th- there's not a ton of depth up top uh, for, for the U S um, but he managed to score a couple, a couple goals uh, at the international level before getting his club debut. And, um, and, and it wasn't just the goals he scored for the U S I think the way he played in those games, playing with confidence and and really the way he's able to get involved in the buildup um, to to you know to to sort of get his teammates involved and release pressure it's not something you see from an American striker at any age let alone an 18 year old kid and then he he has to wait a little bit of time to get his debut for for Werder Bremen uh, I think longer than a lot of U.S. fans would have would have wanted but he he gets the chance in December just you know a few weeks ago. And scores uh, scores on his debut, and and this is a kid that scored at every single level he's played at, with the under 17s, with the US under 20s, obviously with the senior team, and he steps right into one of the very best leagues in the world. And on his first touch, he gets a goal. And and for you know folks to think like maybe that was a little bit fluky, fair enough. Uh, his, his third appearance, he comes off the bench and, and does it again, and this time uh, again involved in the buildup uh, to that play, is able to hold off a guy at midfield make a good pass and then get himself into position and score a terrific goal. Uh, so, you know, for, for an 18 year old American uh, to come off the bench uh, in three Bundesliga games to close out this year and score twice, I think it's unprecedented. I can't remember ever that ever happening before. Um, so Josh Sargent, uh, he has a, he has a bright future. He's lived up to the billing so far. There's, there's going to be ups and downs uh, for a young player, certainly for a young, a young striker, um, but I, I think the way Bremen has, has brought him on and been patient with him, uh, you know, after he scored, I think he, he didn't play at all in the next game and, and they're, they're going to be methodical with him. And I think that's the absolute best situation for him. We, we've seen guys like Christian Pulisic and Weston McKenney. And, and of course, we just talked about Tyler Adams go over to the Bundesliga. Um, it's the best place for these young American kids. They are getting the chance to play. Uh, in, in, you know, for my money is probably the second best league in the world. Um, so, uh, terrific year for him. And, and I want to give a shout out and on, an honorable mention to, to Hadji Wright, who, you know, we, we heard, if you've heard about him, I think a lot of people were excited about Weston McKenney going over to, to Schalke. And, and he seemed like a guy that was, a you know, if not a sure thing, had a really good chance to be successful there. If you talk to people that worked with, with Hadji Wright and, and, and know him and had seen him play, there was a lot more questions about him, whether he, he was going to be able to, to make it in that league. And, and I don't think anyone would have thought that he was going to make his Bundesliga debut before Josh Sargent. Um, but he does. And he, and he got some, some time at the end of the year, obviously there's some squad rotation there with Schalke involved in the champions league and now qualified for the knockout stages of that tournament. Um, but Haji Wright has, has been able to get some important playing time and he scored his first goal before the end of the year. So, uh, you know, I think for, 
American fans, uh, that has to be exciting to have some young guys, some young forwards, a position where there's really not much depth and, and hasn't been historically uh, in the U.S. player pool, to have two young guys that are uh, not only starting to break through at that position in one of the top leagues in the world, but also getting on the score sheet. Um, and the question is, can they continue to do it in 2019? So I'm going to have a lot of fun watching and, and charting the progress of, uh, of those guys as we uh, move into the new year. I'm going to uh, jump in here before Ivis has a chance to give me some, some slack here. Cause I got to defend myself really quickly. <laughs> I wrote a column in Belgium saying that essentially these young <laughs> players need to need to start playing in in first team need to start playing first team soccer before they continue getting national team call-ups and ever since josh Sargent broke into the first team people started tweeting at me and i'm like wait so you mean that playing for the first team and scoring goals means he should be in the national team like i wrote i've been a fan of josh Sargent from the beginning my point still stands. Um, I think there was a, a really strong feeling within the locker room. I think there was, I think there's a strong feeling within the soccer community that, you know, there is a level of earning it to, jo- to join the national team. And I know that this year was a, a weird year with Dave Sarakin, um, but I thought it was incredibly important for Josh Sargent to take this next step in order to stay in the picture as strongly as he was in 18 in 19, he needed to get into the first team um, and score goals. And that's what he's doing right now. Um, and so, yes, he deserves to be called in. Um, and it's not necessarily about how many minutes you're getting with your club team. I understand that, you know, it's different if Christian Pulisic's coming off the bench for Chelsea than it is, you know, if someone's playing for Minnesota United or DC United or anywhere else in MLS. But, you know, I do think that there is something to be said about playing and producing for your professional team. And at the time, Josh Sargent was playing fourth division semi-pro essentially soccer uh in germany and so i just wanted to throw that out there and say i stand by my column <laughs> and by what i wrote hey there you go paul there you go paul uh yeah i mean i wasn't i wasn't gonna give i wasn't gonna put the dig in about it but uh i'm glad you brought it up because it, it is an interesting topic and look let's face it this was a weird year right i mean this was kind of a throwaway year uh if this was a, a world cup qualifying year you, i don't think we would have seen some of the call-ups that we saw um, and 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 Sargent is obviously a unique uh, player in that you know he he's not a completely unknown commodity in terms of the guy was you know golden boot at the U twenty World Cup he 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 clearly one of the top uh, prospects in the player pool for the U S at a position where there's clearly a need so I did, I never really had a problem with him getting call ups um, before um, obviously some people feel that. Uh, they, they believe in the idea that you, you should earn earn every single call-up, and that's fine. People can, can feel that way. But I, for me, this was a weird year, and this was the kind of year where you were going to maybe see that kind of situation where a, a, a prospect could get some looks. And, and obviously the timing didn't work out well for, you, for your, your stance on it, Paul, but I, I definitely see your point in what you originally wrote. And I, and I, I, I know people are having fun at your expense on that, but... I totally get get your point. As far as the Haji Wright, I do want to circle back on Haji Wright. Here's a guy who was who 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 uh, you know six months ago was struggling you know on loan uh, in the lower divisions in Germany. Obviously, things worked out for him in that there were multiple injuries. 
among the shock of forwards and he was kind of the, the the last man standing the last healthy man standing and he had to, he obviously had to do his part in training to earn the opportunity um and credit to him he's taken this opportunity but I, for me i feel like sergeant is is more you look at sergeant and he the poise that he has in the penalty area whether it's for club or for country he doesn't move and he doesn't he does he doesn't seem to operate like an 18 19 year old he he has the poise of a 26 27 year old and that's great to see Haji Wright, i think we need the we, we need we need a little more time with him still uh but it's great that he even got this opportunity cuz 6 months ago no one would have had him getting that opportunity uh now we have to talk about uh what's a little bit of a touchy subject i'm sure still for for us fans and that's the 2018 world cup which obviously the us did not play in and it made for a it made for a bittersweet uh, summer, I'm sure, for all of us who who you know had to deal with that reality of of, of a World Cup without the United States in it. Uh, but we'll we'll try to deal with the positives first, uh, guys. What what was your kind of uh, what was your biggest takeaway from the World Cup, and what and what, what what did you like the most about the World Cup, or what was you what did you enjoy the most about this World Cup? I mean, for me, I was uh, the best part about it was just how entertaining it was um you know we, we talked about this before when you're when you're covering a world cup you don't get the opportunity to watch that many games uh and you know i was in brazil it's the only world cup i've i've covered in in uh, in person and and i've never watched less of a world cup that i can remember so so you get the opportunity to sit down and i i think i watched all 64 games or or, or damn near it um this summer and and it was just a spectacular tournament in every way. I mean, uh, you know, you look at the goals per game, you look at some of the performances we, we saw even in the group stage. I mean, uh, Ronaldo's hat trick against Spain. Uh, you know, there's, there's so many things to, to, to write home about um, some upsets. Uh, you know, it was, it was just wildly entertaining. The, I thought, the, I thought it was good quality. I thought, you know, everything came off without a hitch. There was a lot of questions about the sort of tournament Russia would be able to, to, to put on credit to them. It was uh it was a magnificent tournament, and I think the people that say that it was the best World Cup ever uh, are, are probably right. And and especially the, it came on the heels of a terrific World Cup in Brazil. I mean, I think a lot of people after that tournament were calling it the best ever, the most entertaining ever. So for for Russia to be able to top it, it's not something I was expecting, and and I don't know that uh, that a lot of other people were were expecting it either. And and it was good to see uh, it was good to see a team like Croatia get to the final. Uh, I think that you know you look at history and and there there's obviously there's only been a handful of world champions uh, you know ever and 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 very few uh, teams that actually make the final. It's usually the same cast of characters. So to have Croatia, um, you know, who were a storybook team in, in way back in 1998 when they made a semifinal, for them to take that next step. I hope it's something we see more of going forward. I think that, you know, for the good of the sport worldwide, you know, the more teams that uh, that can sort of take that step and become elite teams, we really haven't seen it. I mean, really over the last 20, 25 years or so, the only teams that have gone from sort of, uh, you know, extremely good teams that never won anything to, to teams capable of, of reaching the final uh, or competing for that trophy consistently is, is France and, and Spain. So the more the more countries that I think, can sort of, you know, vault themselves into the top tier, obviously easier said than done. Uh, you mentioned England and, and Jaden Sancho before I was, uh, you know, it was, it was good to see England uh, finally, you know, get to a semifinal for the first time in a long time uh, and realize some of their, uh, their potential that we always know they have and they never seem to put it together. 
Uh, and that certainly is a team that looks like it's going to be around uh, and competing for uh, titles and major tournaments for a long time to come. So you know, for me, that was my biggest takeaway. I thought it was a, a terrific World Cup as much as I would like to have been there, as much as I would love to have seen the U.S. Uh, there and, and been able to cover them. Uh, you know, as a as a as a neutral, as a spectator, uh, I don't think anyone could really have asked for more uh, from the World Cup. How about you, Paul? Yeah, I mean, I think. First of all, I agree with Doug. I thought just from an entertainment value side of it, it was there were a lot of great games. Um, you know, you think about uh, just kind of the quality of the of the goals, Messi's goal where the ball, the, the touch when it came over his shoulder. I mean, just goals like that that you're going to remember for a really long time. Um, and then you know the storylines that came out of it. You know, whether it's you as a as a reporter as a journalist, you kind of learn that there's. The best stories are the the, right, the the great the great things that happen and the worst things that happen, right? You don't want to be kind of the, those middle teams. You don't want to ever cover a 500 team. So like Germany's collapse and and how poor they were at the World Cup, that will always stand out to me. I just kind of remembering the way that it happened in the group stage, um, you know. But you 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 take that and you compare it to you know the France team and just how much fun they seem to have the entire tournament. They had this group that was so close. They have all these fantastic young players who uh, were playing at the top of their game. England, the same idea, the chemistry that they had within their team was, was visible in every game. And um, you know, I'll, I'll think about that team. Um, you know, when you, when you talk about even um, some of the off the field stuff, I'll shout out to, to your country, to Peru, the fans that came out. Um, it was just, there were so many great stories throughout this world cup that I thought just made it so wildly entertaining from start to finish. Um, and you know, maybe that was because the U S wasn't in it and we, we, our attention seems, you know, for the, even for those of us who haven't been to a tournament, you know, you get kind of stuck on following your team and every little storyline and twist and turn along the way for the team that you're covering. But I just thought that, you know, there was just so many different entertaining games, um, you know, goals, players that stood out, even the memes, when you think about, um, you know, Neymar and, and rolling around on the ground and what that became over the, the course of the summer, I, it was just, um, for me, story after story, game after game, goal after goal that, that made it worth it to, you know, to, to really hammer home why, why it rules to be a soccer fan and, and, um, you know, why the world cup is, is so popular around the world. It was, it was fantastic from, from, um, from the first kick to the last, man, I, I really just thought I, it's going to be hard to top in four years. It really is. Well, you are, you picked you picked every single topic that there was to talk about. So I'm just going to move on now. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, obviously, Peru. <laughs> you got to talk about the Peru uh, performance of the fans, which uh, for me, as much as I was happy to be home and, and watch a World Cup with my kids for the first time, um, snap my streak of four straight world cups but when i saw all the peruvian fans there i mean it, it wasn't a surprise but it was great to see the support that the uh, the peruvian team had and and you know i i think they played better than their results showed but and maybe that's me being a little a little, a little biased there but you know that that was that was great to see and obviously for me personally being able to watch a world cup with my kids w- w- was great and it was it was a unique experience and they, they're they're into the game and they they know who all you know they follow it. They know the players. That so it was, it's kind of great to see them kind of uh, enjoy a enjoy a tournament. In terms of one 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 storyline that I, that was a little disappointing to me was this the whole fiasco with Spain 
and Julian Lopetegui being fired just before the tournament, right after I picked them to win the tournament. Um, that that was that was a little disappointing because I really think that Spain team, uh, if not for that that distraction before the tournament, they could have made a deep run. I think they could have they could have had a really good tournament, but obviously. Uh, that was a disaster for Spain. Uh, so I think that that one, something that stood out for me. And obviously, Lionel Messi, his pursuit of, of a World Cup obviously fell short again. And all the Messi haters came out and got all over him, even though, let's be honest, that that Argentina team was not a good team. And he still did what he could do to try to push them as far as they could go. They lost in the round of 16 to France, the eventual champions. And for me, I still think he showed why, for me, he was the best player in the world this year, even though he only finished fifth in the Ballon d'Or, which I think was was a bit of a joke. But uh, I, I came away with kind of feeling a little disappointed in, in that because I, I would like to see Messi win a World Cup. It's just tough, that Argentina team. And I know some people, people will look at some of the names on that team and say, oh, they have talent. They should be able to win. It's like, no, they are not a team. They are not like a collective as a group, and they haven't been for a while. And I don't know if they ever will be during Messi's time there. So I, I, I you know, unfortunately, it doesn't. Look, it's not looking like he'll he'll ever lift that World Cup. But I don't think that takes away from from his greatness as a player. Um, and obviously, the missing the World Cup, we you know we we all missed out on being in Russia. We weren't alone though. Obviously, the U.S. national team wasn't there either. And it was I, I I don't know if I speak for you guys, but when you you know, and this is going to sound like shade, but when you watch a team like Panama, and as bad as they were, and you say, how did the U.S. not get to the World Cup? Credit to Panama, credit to to Bolillo Gomez for for doing what they had to do in qualifying. But when I look at that tournament, and I look at the U.S. team that could have been. I don't know if the U.S. would have necessarily, you know, even if they had they gotten their act together. I don't know how they. I don't know if they would have done all that well. I think if anything, the embarrassment would have come in Russia. So, I don't know. What do you guys think? Do you guys think a U.S. team, even though it's like, what's the point of even talking about it? But do you think a U.S. team would have actually done something at this World Cup? I don't. I'm, I'm with you, Ivis. I agree completely. Um, and you know, for a team that didn't qualify, to think that they that they would have gone there and done done anything, uh, you know, I, I just I don't think that's reality. And Look, I mean, this is a team that that made it to the knockout stages in 2010 and 2014 for the first time, uh, you know, in consecutive tournaments. And, uh, you know, you look around the world, there's not a ton of teams that have done that. Um, but this was an older generation. I, I think some of the some of the uh, the problems that reared their 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 ugly head in qualifying and ultimately resulted in not qualifying. I mean, those were not going to go away. It's just a it was a weird cycle for the U.S. where there was a big gap between you know, some of the older guys, uh, guys like Tim Howard, uh, you know, that older generation that had been staples for the previous two World Cups and this this new generation coming through the, the Tyler Adams, Josh Sargent's that, that weren't quite ready. Um, so just a weird cycle in a lot of ways. But, yeah, I mean, I was still shocked that they didn't make it. I think they should have made it. But I, I, I certainly don't think that this was a team that was capable of, uh, of 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 making a run of any any sort in Russia had they made it there. What do you think, Paul? Hey. Yeah, I mean, even when you think about Bruce Arena's comments that were, frankly, infuriating afterwards, saying that he was planning on bringing in a bunch <laughs> of the younger players, you know, like Tyler Adams, like Weston McKinney, like Matt Miazga, uh, for the World Cup, um, he just felt like he needed the veterans to get through qualifying. You know, I don't think it would have made a difference. And, you know, actually, I, I think back to um, an interview I did with Tyler Adams where he was reflecting on his first year with the national team. And he said, you know, it took me a few months, a few call ups before I was 
comfortable at the international level. I needed that time to adjust. And I think it would have been difficult to um, truly make that adjustment at the World Cup in a way that would have been substantial enough to change the dynamics within that team that were so prevalent over the course of qualifying. So, no, I, I just think that the the chemistry was off. Um, the dynamics of the group was off. The mix of players and where they were and their where they were and are in their professional careers was off. Um, this was a failure that that was years in the making, and it wasn't. There was nothing that would have erased it. So I, I think it would have been a disappointing World Cup, regardless. Right, right. I definitely agree there. Uh, moving away from the World Cup, we have to, you know, before we wrap up talking about 2018, we have to get into MLS a bit and. Obviously, there there were some key storylines at MLS that, that we could touch on. Atlanta winning a, a, a title and, and putting together just an amazing year. Obviously, that was a big storyline. And another big storyline is MLS really emerging as a selling league and really emerging as a league where top talent can make big moves abroad. We've seen players transfer away from MLS in the past, but obviously this year with some of the big transfers, the Alfonso Davies transfer, Zach Steffen, uh, Jack Harrison earlier in the year, we saw some really big moves. And then we saw Don Garber uh, in December uh, at the State of the League actually for the first time basically admitting that, yes, MLS is now a selling league, even though we didn't need him to tell us that. Everyone kind of had figured that out. But it it, it showed it it actually it was it was a meaningful moment for the fact that he was able to acknowledge that. So uh, what do you guys think about that kind of? change and 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 what was your kind of biggest takeaway from 2018 in MLS? I'll I'll jump in here first because the selling league thing was an important moment for this league. It it was absolutely necessary. And I, I was frustrated for so long. I think a lot of us were because I think the mindset of MLS too long was that American fans don't want to hear that they are a stepping stone to another league, right? In this country, you have the NBA and the NFL and major league baseball and the NHL. And these are the top leagues in their respective sports, but you know, ignoring the fact that we know that there are better leagues outside of the world, outside of the rest of the world, doesn't make it so that, you know, you are the best league in the world or you can compete with the best leagues in the world. This league needed to become a bigger player in that global soccer economy. And too often they were buying players at mid to low levels outside of the the big, the older name DPs and not doing anything else. And um, it's essential for the kind of growth of this league that they started to produce players that could be sold. And already we're seeing the effects and it hasn't even, I mean, the calendar year ends today, but you know, Yoshi Yotun was just sold to Cruz Azul for $4 million. I'm pretty sure that's like a top seven transfer in major league soccer history. And, you know, no one's really talking about it because it's, it's, it's nowhere close to the other transfers. You know, it's, it's, it's a transfer we haven't seen that often in the history of the league as far as the amount of money coming in. But this is the new norm in Major League Soccer. This should be and it should be. And, you know, we saw the record broken by Davies and we're going to see the record broken again this January by Miguel Amiron. So, you know, I think for me, when you talk about the future of the league, this dynamic changing, embracing being a selling league was the most important thing that happened in Major League Soccer in 2018. And that includes the amazing stories in Atlanta. What do you think, Doug? Yeah, no, and the, the, the funny thing is, Paul, is that I don't think those things are mutually exclusive at all. I mean, 
it took a certain amount of vision from someone like Arthur Blank to to say and and Darren Eel, you know, the, Arthur Blank, the owner of uh, of of, of uh, Atlanta United and, and the Atlanta Falcons, and, and Darren Eel's uh, Atlanta United's president to say. This is the way we're going to do it. We are not going to, and I and I know early on, like there was talk about, you know, did did they need a name player um, to to sort of anchor that expansion season? Andres uh, Guardado, the, the Mexican international, was was a guy that they looked at that they mentioned, and 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 what and I remember talking to Darren Eels ahead of that that inaugural season in, in 2017, and he said once we realized that we were selling tickets already. Um, they had a, a tremendous number of, of season ticket deposits, uh, well, well in advance of, of their first uh, their first game, uh, and, and even before they started acquiring players, and, and it really sort of changed the outlook for them. And they said, you know, we don't we don't need that sort of anchor player. So instead, let's go out and recruit some young South American guys who are hungry, who want to use this league as a, as a stepping stone to get to Europe, to get to where they want to go. And it took a lot of courage to do that. And, uh, you know, the, the success that they've had just goes to show that, uh, you know, that it, that it worked. And I think, I mean, I, I agree, Paul. I think that was the, the biggest news that's come out of MLS in years. And it was sort of overlooked. It was almost a, a throwaway in the state of the, the, the league address by Don Garber. Uh, I mean, this, you know, it, he admitted that he, he's sort of done an, an about face on the topic. I mean, for years it was, and even in recent history, when you see the league bringing back guys like Tim De- De- Clint Dempsey and Tim Howard and, and Michael Bradley and the list goes on. I mean, that was only a few years ago. And I, I think there's a recognition that there's a different way to do things. And, and, and I think that goes back to Atlanta where, you know, there was sort of a realization that fans don't really care where players come from. They don't really care if they know the player beforehand if they're going to be entertained and you look at the way Atlanta was at Atlanta's first game uh, in 2017 and right off the bat, it was clear that this team was an entertaining team and that was by design as well. I mean, Darren Hill said, uh, you know, we're, we, we want to entertain win, lose or draw. Um, and, and, you know, that was a game changer in MLS and like every other league, every other sport, like anything else, when some organization, some team has success, doing things a certain way. And obviously Atlanta, you know, are champions now other teams will follow. And, uh, and I think that, you know, they deserve a lot of credit for, uh, for changing the way the league looks at, uh, you know, their, their, their makeup of their rosters. And um, it's just a different path to being successful. So I think we're going to see more of that as, uh, as time goes on. And it's a welcome change for MLS. I couldn't agree more. Atlanta's definitely set the bar, uh, They've definitely changed the bar in MLS. And look, we, we know not all the teams in the league are going to be able to follow suit, but it, it's definitely hopefully putting some pressure on teams to, to to let them realize that, you know what, you can't get by anymore, uh, you know, kind of penny pinching and, and, and trying to really nickel and dime your way through the league. You, you're going to have to spend. And no, not all the teams are going to have to spend the tens of tw- tens and 20 million dollars transfers like Atlanta did. But. I think it, they have shown now that if you invest, you can reap the rewards and you can reap the benefits. You can fill stadiums. And uh, I think you're going to see some more teams kind of emerge that, that are willing to do that. I mean, I think, I, you know, for me, a team like LAFC with the, the year, the first year that they had 
I think they're a team that could definitely build on that. I think when you talk about Columbus and now with the change in ownership, and we'll get into that in a little bit looking ahead to 2019, you can see already that they they have kind of been influenced by that. And I think you're going to see that new ownership group make some big moves as well. So it's great to see a, a, a new team come in and really just shake things up. And, and, and we've seen it before, but I think Atlanta, the way Atlanta did it, uh, it, it's just really resonating throughout the league, and it's making for an exciting 2019. And just quickly, I just want to point out, it's gonna, it, it really is going to be interesting how teams react because if you look at Atlanta right now, you know, Pitti Martinez is on his way to Atlanta. He, he was just voted top player in South America, and he's coming in for an exorbitant, exorbitant amount of money, okay? I mean, we're talking, you know, reports have it between 15 to $19 million. So, before Miguel Almiron is even sold for somewhere that will fetch in that neighborhood of profit, somewhere in that 15 to 19, 15 to $20 million of profit, Arthur Blank is saying, I'm not keeping this money for myself. I'm not hiding this money in, you know, and, and storing it away for a rainy day and, you know, putting a little bit here into the facility and maybe buying a $2 million DP or, you know, whatever, and spreading out this wealth over 10, 15 years to offset losses in, in MLS. No, he's saying I'm putting that money right back into another DP. I'm interested to see if Vancouver does the same thing with Alfonso Davies, the money that comes from that sale, or whether they try to set that money aside and say, you know what, well, we're going to use 2 million, 3 million of this a year to offset the losses of the academy over, over five to 10 years. Because I do think there's a difference in that and how it's spent. And yes, the, 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 the money you spending on the Academy is important. Um, and arguably just as important as going out and buying DPs. But if you're already planning on investing that money, then use using the money from these sales to reinvest it into the first team with DPs that can come in and, and improve the product immediately is, is critical. And, you know, Arthur Blank is showing that even though he's also spending that two or $3 million a year on his Academy, He's putting that money right back into a marquee DP. Will Vancouver do the same? You know, will Columbus do the same with the Zach Steffen money? Those those actions by other teams are going to go a long way to determining how quickly this this league grows. Well, who's getting the Zach Steffen money? That's the question. Is it Columbus? Is it Columbus? Is it Anthony Precourt? That's 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 all. That's a that's a Pandora's box. We we, we can definitely get into that whole little uh, you know tangent there. But obviously, Atlanta United was the big story, the big positive in terms of teams. But there were there were definitely some disappointing teams in 2018. Uh, there, there's quite a few, so we, we'll touch on the ones that we felt that were that were the biggest surprises. Uh, Doug, what, what was your biggest disappointment as far as the team in 2018? I mean, I think it has to be Toronto FC. I mean, uh, you know, we look a year ago and everybody was calling them; they were calling themselves the best team in MLS history, um, and I think that was fair. I mean, I don't think there was a lot of argument um, about that. Uh, you know, the way that that team had gone from sort of a laughing stock um, for the first seven, eight years of its existence um, and then really retooled. And, and they got some smart folks up there and, and Tim Bezbachenko and, and a good coach in Greg Vanny. And then they signed Sebastian Giovinco. And it seemed like they were, you know, they were going to win an MLS Cup. And then they came close, uh, as close as you can get in 2016. And then a, a tremendous season 2017. 
Um, and uh, they really looked like they were going to be the first MLS team uh, in a long time uh, and, and in the current format to, to win the, the CONCACAF Champions League. Um, and they, they obviously came very close to that as well, as close as you can come, losing on, on penalties, knocking off uh, a couple of very, very good Mexican teams um, you know, on the way to that final uh, against Guadalajara. And I think it was just shocking to see the way they they sort of fell off after that. And and you can you can talk about the injuries. Obviously, Josie Altador missed a, a lot of the season. Uh, there are a number of other very important players, uh, you know, for that team that that missed significant time and all that that factored in. But I mean, I think if anyone had told us they were going to miss the playoffs, um, you know, at the beginning of last season, I think that would have been almost unfathomable. I mean, g- given the the success that they'd had recently, that's a team that's basically stayed together. They didn't lose, you know, they lost Stephen Beta short to LAFC. Um, I think that turned out to be a, a much bigger loss than a lot of people thought it would be. But at the time, it, it seemed something that they would they would be able to you know to really get over pretty quickly and not and not miss a beat. So. Uh, you know, the, the fact that Toronto was, was uh, you know, I think every, everyone would have maybe expected or, or couldn't expect them to repeat what they did in 2017. But for them to fall as far as they did um, and, and, and not even make the playoffs in a league that, you know, let's face it, is, is pretty forgiving when it comes to, uh, you know, who makes it into the playoffs. For them to, to not even be able to get, you know, one of the one of the seeds to play in a knockout game, uh, to not even finish you know, six in the Eastern conference, I think is just mind boggling. And, and for me, there's uh, there's a lot of pressure on them this season to, to see um, if they can rebound from that. They, they have to. Um, and, you know, there's some, some questions about the future of their, their big three, uh, Javinko, Michael Bradley and Altidore, um, you know, Javinko wants a new contract. I don't, I don't know how much that came into some of the troubles uh, that they had this year, some, you know, the locker room, I don't think was, uh, was united for large parts of the season. And that was definitely one of their strengths. The, the previous two seasons, um, is Jivingo going to stick around? He wants a new contract. Hasn't gotten it yet. How does that manifest itself? So these are, uh, these are, these are all big questions. Michael Bradley, what kind of season does he have after a very disappointing 2018 Josie Altidore? Can he stay healthy? Is he still going to be there? There was interest in him from, from leagues around the world, from, from Mexico and, and, and Italy and France, uh, if you believe the reports. So um, I'll have my eye on, on them this year. And, uh, you know, they're a, they're a team that spent a lot of money. They're a big-time uh, time club in MLS, and it's not acceptable for them to not make the playoff. So we'll see uh, what they can do in 2019. It's crazy to think about the fact that they were as close as they were to winning the CONCACAF Champions League. And at that point, uh, and what is that, April, May, like late April? At that April. point... At that point, we're all talking about, yeah, this is easily the best team in the history of MLS. And to go from that, to go from the verge of winning a Champions League to everything falling apart was unbelievable. But, I mean, I, I happen to think they're going to rebound. I think they're going to be right back in it. Everything that could go wrong went wrong for them um, last year. I, are they going to come right back and win a title again? That's I'm not so sure about, but I think they're going to be right back in the mix as one of the better teams in the league. I, I really see that happening. Uh, how about you, Paul? What, what was your? You, you got a couple of options there. What, what, are your, what were your picks for biggest disappointments in 2018? I think, you know, obviously Toronto for me ranks up at number one, but I think Chicago fire has to be there too. This is a team that finished third in the supporter shield standings in 2017 and dropped all the way back down to 10th in the Eastern conference, only 32 points on the season, less than a point per game. 
And it was just totally confusing the way they approached the season. Once they re-signed Bastian Schweinsteiger, in my mind, you're essentially shoving your chips into the middle of the table. And they've done it again this year going into 2019. He is an aging center midfielder. You have an older roster. You've got to go for it. And instead, despite knowing that Michael Delu and Georgia Mihailovic were out with torn ACLs, the fire added almost nobody that could help them. Alexander Katai came in on loan. They eventually gave him uh, a permanent uh, contract, but he was the real, the only real help they brought in. And really he was brought in to replace David Akam, who they traded away to Philadelphia. And obviously Akam had a terrible year, but it wasn't like he was anything new. He was just replacing Akam. So the fact that they counted on so many draft picks and not just first round draft picks, second and third round draft picks, the fact that who were taking up international slots and that they didn't do anything in the summer window, despite the way that the, the season started, you know, Bastian Schweinsteiger is making five and a half million dollars a year playing center back. I mean, the number of things that were going wrong in Chicago, the, the, the dispute between the front office and the fans that made the off the field issues look just as bad as the on the field issues. To me, it, it's, it's, it's hard not to include them in this conversation. Um, they had a chance to continue making progress from a team that has been arguably the worst in MLS over the past seven, eight years. Um, certainly in the conversation, only two playoff appearances since 20, what, 2010 or 2011. Um, and instead they went backwards and I think finished with the same amount of points or or fewer points. I think the same amount of points as Belko Panovic's and Nelson Rodriguez's first year when they dumped everyone on the roster to start this rebuild, um, hugely, hugely disappointing season in Chicago. And, and now they've got even more work to do to replace players on, on a roster that I think they have right now one defender on the roster, one real quality starting defender on the roster. So they, they've got a ton of work to do. And I'd say, listen, those are definitely two two good picks in terms of bigger disappointments in MLS in 2018. But for me, a team, the team that stood out um, just in terms of expectations and, and, and needing to have a big year is the LA Galaxy. When you think about the awful year that they had in 2017 and the fact that LAFC was, was coming on board in their first season, the Galaxy needed to have a big 2018. And they went out, they got Zlatan Ibrahimovic, the biggest star addition in the league in, in 2018. No offense to Wayne Rooney. Um, I mean, Zlatan, you bring a Zlatan in, you, you, got, you have to have big, big expectations, not just making the playoffs, but making a run, making a championship run. And it all went wrong for them. Even after Zlatan's amazing debut, it all went wrong for them. They missed the playoffs. And in a year when LAFC shows up, and, and LAFC impressed a lot of people. And LAFC, I guarantee you, won a lot of fans over in LA who probably looked at LA, at the Galaxy's last two years and thought, you know what? It looks like it's, it's, time, it's time to check out this new team. And I guarantee you a lot of people in LA uh, switched sides. A lot of people in LA said, you know what? It's okay, Galaxy. I'm going to go over here and check out this LAFC team. Uh, and it, it's that it's now you see the shakeup in in LA now. Uh, they haven't officially named their next head coach yet, but the reports are that it'll be Guillermo Barrichello. Uh, Dennis DeClose has been brought in to to run the soccer operations there, and and it sounds like they might be ready to turn things around in 2019. But it is thoroughly embarrassing 
to have as bad a year as they had, especially with LAFC coming on board. I mean, that that's what make that's what for me magnifies this this disaster for the Galaxy. And I gotta say, I it shocks me that Chris Klein still has a job. And I'm very curious to see what happens to him in 2019 because I tell you what, he he his his head's got to be on the chopping block now because we're gonna have a new coach to close Dennis the closest running things now. Chris Klein probably is, as far as my understanding, is is really just in charge dealing with with the business side now. But he he for me, I think he's lucky that he still has a job there because 2018 was an embarrassment for the Galaxy. There's only three of us I know, but I just want to give a quick shout out to Orlando City, which deserves to be in the top four <laughs> for all the moves that they made in the offseason. Sasha Question, Justin Merrim, you know Sane, I, they brought up in the boot. We all thought we all thought they were going to do. Well, look, we all. I, I mean, I don't know. I don't want to speak for you guys, but I, I I don't know how it went so bad. Like when you looked at the players they added, I thought they were going to be a playoff team. I thought it was a lock. No doubt. And then end up firing Jason Christ halfway through the year. James O'Connor comes in. It gets actually gets worse instead of better. They 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 trade Justin Merrin back to Columbus at a three hundred thousand dollar loss. You know, Kleshin's looking like a bad contract. Will Johnson's back on a bad contract. Sane wasn't that impress impressive. You know, Spectre's gone. Bendix gone. I mean, there you know, Nicky Butelich was fired. Dom Dwyer, for how much they've spent on him versus keeping Kyle Laren has not been a, a move that I think anyone would say has panned out the way Orlando City wanted. Um, just a total disaster of a year, considering the expectations, considering the way we all looked at last offseason. So, you know, we'd be remiss if we did not mention Orlando City. And the way they started, too. I mean, they, this was a team at the beginning of the year. They looked pretty good. And then the wheels fall, you know, fell off. So, uh, you know, that even adds to it. The fact that they, they came out the gate strong and then and then it just went to hell in a handbasket. I agree with you guys. Well, looking ahead now uh, to twenty to twenty nineteen, there's plenty there's plenty to look forward to. Obviously, uh, in in the new year, uh, and I'll start with you, Paul. What 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 storyline are you most looking forward to seeing, and are most interested to seeing develop in twenty nineteen? I think I'm interested to see what happens in Columbus. Um, you know, the Save the Crew mo- movement. We we've I know people were probably freaking out. How could you not mention Save the Crew in twenty eighteen? Well, we're saving it for this because. Obviously, it was one of the the craziest and most interesting stories in 2018 in MLS. We thought the crew were gone, um, headed to Austin with uh, with pre-court. Instead, um, the fan movement helps to reinvigorate the community. The Haslam's come in at the the head of a new ownership group. Now they're staying. Um, they've hired Caleb Porter, or you know, not officially announced yet, but I. I've reported and others, I, I believe as well, that Caleb Porter will be the coach in Columbus. Um, you know, they've got some interesting candidates for the GM position and, you know, they've got a new stadium and a new trading facility coming in the next few years. You know, can Columbus, first of all, maintain the success they've had under one of the better coach and GM combos, Greg Berhalter, that we've seen in the league in the last few years who really maximize resources, you know, can they spend more and compete um, and potentially be the next sport in Kansas city um, that gets new life with a new stadium and, and becomes one of the better teams and models in major league soccer uh, or what will happen with a, with an area and a fan base that has drawn a lot of questions from MLS headquarters. So for me, it's one of the most interesting stories to watch in 2019 for sure. Well, I got to, I got to chime in on that. The whole pre-court situation seems so shady. And I think everyone agrees that, the fact that he had the buyout clause in uh, the Austin clause in his purchase of the crew definitely puts his entire tenure as owner in a different light. 
and it just makes you wonder you know did he really just sandbag that whole situation and was it really because of him and not necessarily because of the support in Columbus uh, that they had these rough years, at least in terms of, you know, at the turnstiles. And now when you hear about this new ownership group and, and already the energy that's coming out of that group and the plans that you hear that they have. And I mean, I, you know, I saw the report from the dispatch that, that Tim Bezbuchenko potentially could be the new GM there. If they get the Caleb Porter, Tim Bezbuchenko combo, that's a, that that's pretty encouraging for them having big plans and, and pretty encouraging for them being, you know, transforming into a force uh in the league so i mean that that's exciting to see and uh you know we've seen for a few years now that that they've struggled to fill that stadium uh but then you see cincinnati with what they're doing what they did in usl and now they're coming into the league you 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 have to think that columbus could be could do that for columbus could fill a stadium and if they build a stadium closer to downtown that obviously would would help so i'm excited to see what happens in columbus i i i've we've all been to columbus in the past for u.s national team games and have seen that stadium full we know that there are fans there and we know that there's talent that comes out of that area so i'm, I'm excited to see what a, a committed owner a dedicated owner and an owner that's not sandbagging his organ his his club uh see what that kind of owner can do in columbus I, i'm excited to see that uh doug what are you looking forward to? What storyline are you looking forward to in 2019? Well, you mentioned Cincinnati, and I think we have to talk about them, you know, coming in as the, the lone expansion team this season. And, and certainly the crowds they've drawn there, you know, are basically what got them into the league to a large degree. Um, and I think that the fact that the crew are staying, I mean, that's that's terrific news, uh, first of all. But um, I think it's great news for Cincinnati as well. I really do. Now there's a natural in-state rival. Um, I think that they're, you know, they're going to be, uh, they're going to be looked at as rivals and, and, and it's going to force the fact that crew are staying is going to force Cincinnati, uh, you know, to, 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 to be as good as they can be. And, and there's been some questions about how competitive they'll be in their, in their first year, a, a lot of USL players on their roster, but they've also made some, some shrewd moves to get some, uh, some MLS experience, particularly on the, on the back line, which is very important with, uh, Kendall Waston from Vancouver, uh, you know, Costa Rican international, tons of experience, and and Greg Garza left back who just uh, helped Atlanta win MLS Cup. So uh, I'm curious to see how how they do, uh, how competitive they are their first year. I mean, they seem to be taking more of the uh, you know Minnesota United approach to to roster building, where they're keeping a number of their players. <laughs> That's a... for, for Minnesota, which is why you're laughing, but. Uh, you know, I, I think they'll be more competitive. How competitive they'll be, I mean, I don't, I don't know that they're going to be like an Atlanta United or even an LAFC. Um, but uh, that's that's going to be a storyline to, to to watch. A welcome addition to the league, and I think it's even better, you know, just by the fact that the crew are uh, are staying in, in Ohio as well. And also, I mean, personally, I'm I'm curious to see what New York City FC looks like this year. This is a team that looked to be going uh, on the up under under Patrick Vieira. There was a lot of questions about Vieira when he when he took over that team a couple of years ago, and he did such a good job, uh, really identifiable playing style, um, and and he you know used that opportunity to, to move back to his, his native France, uh, you know back to Ligue 1, and uh, Dome Turan comes in, and 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 there was not a smooth transition. Let's face it. I mean, you look across the across the river and what happened with the Red Bulls for for them to be able to win the Supporter Shield after changing coaches mid mid season. 
you know, Jesse Marsh going over to, to Germany, Chris Armas coming in. That didn't happen um, on the other side uh, of the river and, and up in the Bronx. And, uh, you know, Dominic Turan, I think, you know, basically changed some things midseason and, and it didn't work out for them. And obviously they uh, they lost to Atlanta in the playoffs. So what happens uh, now that he has a, a full preseason with that team? Uh, and what's the future for that team? They, they've shown a willingness to spend money in the past. David Villa is now gone. You know, how do they replace him? Uh, and, and you know, what's the future for them? There's no there's no stadium really on the horizon. Uh, what, what can they uh, what can they do? Are they uh, are they a pretender or are they a contender? And uh, I think 2019 is going to tell us a lot about the direction that team's going to take over the next number, uh, number of years. Now, now you, you talked about a couple of teams there. Now, Cincinnati, I, I, I don't know. Where, I don't know where Paul stands on it, but I know it's early, but I'm really getting a I'm not getting a great vibe on them having a good first year. I know they've added some de- some good, solid defensive pieces when you talk about uh, Waston, Garza, Alvis Powell. So already the makings of a solid MLS defense. But I don't know, man. It, it, that roster, as it, as it, I know it's early, but it, it, I do get a bit of a Minnesota vibe off of that, and and that's not a good thing. So I, we we could definitely go down that rabbit hole talking about Cincinnati. But uh, you know, since you've jumped ahead talking about NYCFC as a team to watch in 2019, Paul, I got to ask you, who's the team you're looking at in 2019 that you want to see them either make a jump or or improve on on a, on a good A team? I think it has to be DC United. Um, They were the team of the second half of the major league soccer season with Wayne Rooney's arrival. They became a totally different team. And, um, you know, I'm really intrigued to see them with a full season uh, with an off season with Wayne Rooney. Now an understanding of how they want to play a new stadium, um, a more balanced schedule and some of the pieces that they're adding. Obviously they they just added um, another attacking player on loan, um, you know, with, with Lucas Rodriguez coming up from Argentina, you know, trying to bring Yamil Assad back, Luciano Acosta, obviously right now they're in, um, contract negotiations with Acosta. So, um, what happens in DC, uh, they've got a really solid team. And if they add one or two more pieces, a little bit of help on the back line, um, you know, maybe, maybe a, a starting fullback, I think is an area that they really need to, to improve, um, they can be a team that's a, that's right there contending for MLS Cup, especially because I think there are questions in the rest of Major League Soccer still. I mean, Atlanta, so dominant, is going through huge changes with a new coach coming in and Miguel Almiron going out. You know, can, I think Pitti Martinez is an Ignacio Piatti level talent, but he's a different type of player. So what will Atlanta look like? Um, and so I think DC United is fully capable of saying going into this season, we are MLS Cup contenders. Can they do it? I think it's going to be a really interesting story to watch. Right. Uh, as, as far as I go, uh, the team that I'm very interested to see in 2019 is LAFC. And, you know, I know that the season didn't end the way they would have liked, you know, getting knocked off in the knockout rounds, uh, getting upset at home. But, you know, from a first year standpoint, I thought it was a great first year for them. I thought the soccer they played was attractive. The, obviously, the the atmosphere at that at that beautiful stadium was impressive to see. And I think now, when you when you kind of look at Atlanta and the and what they did, go, you know, going from year one to year two, now I want to see it, can LA, LAFC do something similar and kind of build off that impressive, entertaining first year 
and add some bigger pieces to really make a run at a title. And if I'm LAFC, I'm looking at year two and I'm looking at the disaster that LA that the Galaxy are going through. And you want to put your foot on their neck and really have a big second year to really kind of take control of that market. And, you know, obviously, I think, you know, Bob Bradley, obviously, he's a solid coach. And he he now that he has another offseason to kind of tinker with that group and John Thornton, they obviously have some questions they need to answer as far as their defense. And, you know, they're still working on resigning Walker Zimmerman. They I think they still need another center back. Uh, so we'll see how they how they do there. But I want to see with that ownership group, with the money that's there, are they going to go and add another one or two big pieces to really make a push at a title? And uh, there's no reason they shouldn't be able to do it. So, uh, you know, I want to see if they're ready to really just go after controlling that market. And I think they have the resources to do it. So I'm excited to see what LAFC does there. And now we've talked about teams and now we have to get into specific players. And it's not just MLS. We'll talk about uh, whether the MLS players, Americans abroad. Uh, I want to hear from you guys. Who are some of the players that you're looking forward to seeing how they do in 2019 i'll start with you doug who, who's a player that you want to see in 2019 how they how they how they do uh in, in mls internationally i mean we've talked about some of them i mean uh, if you want to talk internationally i agree with you on on Jaden sancho um but uh staying in dormant i think christian pulisic is a guy we need to talk about this is uh you know this is the headliner for the u.s national team and uh, he hasn't played that much for Dortmund this year. I know you alluded to it before, but um, I'm, I'm curious to see what happens with him. Is is he going to, you know, obviously a lot of speculation about how long he's going to stay at Dortmund. Doesn't look like he's going to be sold in the January window. Um, there's been multiple multiple reports. Um, Build in Germany first uh, to report that, that Chelsea had, had, had made a concrete offer to Dortmund uh, for, for Pulisic services. That would happen in the summer. Do other teams come through, uh, you know, later on? Um, it, it sounds like he's leaving. Um, sounds like he wants to go to England. Um, is that the best fit for him? I mean, there's so many unanswered questions. And this is a guy that, uh, you know, he, the way he broke out, and it's, I mean, he's 20 now. It seems like forever since, he, since he's been around, uh, since he broke out as a 17-year-old, uh, almost three years ago now. You know, this is the first real adversity he's facing in his professional career. And um, I think for U.S. national team fans, you have to wonder what's uh, what's next for him. Can he break back into the lineup at Dortmund, uh, you know, the, the German leaders? And, and you know, or, or is it uh, is it is it a situation where he's going to continue to, you know, to be a, a role player for them, a guy that comes off the bench? He's been an un- unused substitute in a, in a few games, uh, including Dortmund's last game before the winter break, including their their huge win against Bayern Munich. Um, so those those aren't good signs, really. Um, but obviously, things change quickly in, in soccer. He's a quality player, and uh, we'll see uh, we'll see if he can rebound in 2019. By you, Paul. Uh, I'm going to go outside of the box with this one. I'm going to go with George Mihailovic. He's probably the biggest surprise of the January camp call-ups, which is a roster full of surprises. Um, the young midfielder from Chicago, you know, had a solid rookie season, tore his ACL in the playoffs against the Red Bulls and, you know, came back late last year and, and showed his quality. And I think with Georgie, the issue is going to be how much can he start to impact games? Can he score goals? Can he create goals in the final third? Um, he's got the ability to see the game. Now, how quickly can he see it? Can he keep up 
at the, the higher pace of the game when you get to the international level? And um, can he be a difference maker in Major League Soccer the way we've seen with guys like Tyler Adams? That's the step Georgie is going to have to take this next year. So, you know, does this January camp become a motivator for him where, you know, maybe he is able to take that step, be a big leader for the under 23 team as they go through Olympic qualifying and, and perhaps even fight his way into the senior national team picture. Um, I think he's still got a lot left to show. Um, that's why I was surprised that he got a January camp call up, but what they see in him is, is that he has that potential. Um, it's so enticing, uh, but, but, you know, can they coax it out of him? So um, an interesting, he's certainly a much different level than Christian Pulisic, but he's a guy who at a time when this national team is very much in flex. And when that position in the middle of the park, um, there are a lot of questions over who's going to play there. You know, could he be a guy who kind of comes out of nowhere out of MLS um, to be somebody that Greg Berhalter counts on in his system. Yeah, he's definitely a player. I'm sure when the when the roster came out for the national team camp, uh, folks outside of Chicago were like, "Who the heck is this guy?" But as you said, toward the end of toward the end of the year, he had, he definitely had some good moments, uh, had some good games to really kind of catch some people's attention. And look, it's clear that that, that Berhalter made some call ups that uh, that looking ahead to the next U23 cycle and and Mihailovic qualifies in terms of that age group. The same thing with Jonathan Lewis getting, uh, being the last addition to the roster but yeah no he's an interesting one and it's going to be up to you know Valkopanovic to, to figure out how he's going to fit into into his plans and if he's going to find a way to get him on the field consistently uh for me I can, I'm going to have to cheat here I'm not going to I can't co- give you one name I'm going to give you a group and it's uh, the U.S. under 20 uh, national team obviously just won the CONCACAF championships. I, I was lucky enough to be down there for that. And and there there is such an exciting group of talent coming up in that age group. And obviously, Alex Mendez was the star uh, of that tournament. Uh, he, he's someone who, for those who don't know, he was in the LA Galaxy system. Uh, he had the breakout under 20 tournament. He has signed with SC Freiburg. He's only 18. Dynamic central midfielder. The kid is the kid is something special and i know everyone talks about how much we overhype young players uh me personally just having had a chance to talk to him uh at length and see him play in person there is something to this kid he is someone to watch and i'm curious to see how he how he uh handles life at freiburg and he did not at all sound like he was going to be overwhelmed by the situation he's already settling in fitting in well well there he's not the only one though you have chris richards who's at Bayern munich right now uh, is likely to to make a permanent move over to Bayern Munich from FC Dallas. You have Chris Gloucester, uh, a Jersey boy left back who, you know, everyone talks about George Bellow, but let me tell you folks, Chris Gloucester is one that you want to keep an eye on. Those guys, and then Richie Ledesma, who just signed at PSV Eindhoven, uh, who was injured and missed the under-20 tournament. But all four of those guys, for me, are going to be key factors at the under-20 World Cup. And they're going to be players that if you... I, I know a lot of U.S. fans already know about these guys, but if you don't yet... Or if you don't know much, I tell you what, you're going to know about them by the end of 2019. I think I'm excited to see all four of these players really kind of emerge in 2019. And and they're all I think they're all pretty special. It's, uh, it's going to be an exciting, exciting year. And uh, I, I don't want to speak for you guys, but are you how much are you guys looking forward to 2019? Because I for me personally, it felt 2018 just had that hangover of missing the World Cup. And it was just kind of an overall kind of funk, I think, among the American soccer fan base in general. Uh, and it feels like it was lifted when Berhalter was hired, even though a lot of people didn't like the hire. I think a lot of people acknowledged, yes, now it's time to look ahead. Now it's time to finally put it behind us. 
Yeah. Is that is that how you guys feel about 2019? Yeah. I mean, I think it, I think it's been a kind of a negative space uh, in the American soccer world, whether it's American soccer Twitter or uh, just kind of around the the culture in general. Did, you know, watching a World Cup as great as this World Cup was, it's still you know I know a lot of fans. It's really disappointing not to have the U.S. in it, and you you wonder about the impact that that may have had on future generations of, of uh, fans for the sport or the short-term impact it had on the growth of the sport in this country. You know, for someone like me, I got laid off because the U.S. didn't make the World Cup. So, um, yeah, of course, that, that cast a shadow over the entire year. Uh, but um, I do think what 2019 brings is that sense of optimism again. And it's there because of the young players that, Ivis, you just named a bunch of them. And then we've talked about a few of them that are overseas breaking into first teams, having an impact. We could see Christian Pulisic going to the Premier League. What will that look like? Um, there's there's excitement around that young group. We're going to see them play in the Gold Cup this summer for the first time together. You know, can this be, you know, what England had in this past World Cup and what um, we've seen from other, you know, countries like Belgium with their golden generation in France. You know, is this going to be this this young group that uses the next eight years to develop into something special? I think that's what's turned around from as this calendar flips from 18 to 19. It's from the anger and the pessimism and the desire for change. And then seeing these young players who maybe they can't change U.S. soccer from a structural infrastructure level, but they can change um, the way people think about American soccer, both at the club level and international level. And, and that that's created that optimism that I think for a long time has, has kind of been what U.S. soccer is all about. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, and I, like Paul, started off 2018 unemployed. So just to be able to have a job to start off 2019 uh, is a step in the right direction. And, and yeah, I mean, the, the, to me, Burhalter's uh, signing or hiring or the announcement that he was hired you know that's a that's a special moment. But even the first day after the World Cup, uh, uh, when when sort of you know every team, every national team in the world sort of starts from scratch. Uh, you know, for me that was a, a, an exciting time. And and I agree. I mean, this is a players' game, and uh, you know it's about being excited about players. And and you know, the part of U.S. fandom, I think, for everyone that you know reads us and and follows U.S. national teams. Uh, it, it's everyone wants to be, you know, you don't, they don't just want to qualify for the world cup. Everyone thinks that and sees the potential for the sport in the country, uh, sees the, the game getting bigger and more popular all the time. And they want a national team that, that reflects that. And, uh, you know, there, there is some real reason for, for optimism. And I know it's easy to be pessimistic after the, the qualifying disaster. And that that's really what it was, um, you know, last time around. But if you talk to people inside U.S. soccer, and I, and I want to be, you know, we're always really cautious, cautious. I know you guys are as well about, you know, building up young players and getting too high on, on young guys too early. And it's it's something that, you know, because everyone wants to see the U.S. kind of take that next step um, that, that a lot of folks have been guilty at over the years. I mean, no matter what player comes along, you can go back to Landon Donovan and up through Josie Altidore and even now Christian Pulisic where, you know, everyone expects these guys to be world beaters. And, and as soon as there's some adversity, you know, people kind of turn on them. And, and it's I think that's a really unfortunate thing. Um, so I'm always very wary of building up young players. But when you talk to people inside the sport that are that are around these guys, uh, you know, that, that have seen this this next generation come up. There's a lot of optimism. And uh, when you hear from people that, that really know what they're talking about, 
uh, I think that's a really good sign. And I think that U.S. fans have uh, a lot to look forward to this cycle. Um, and uh, I'm happy to be part of it along with you guys. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and, and I agree with you. There's always that kind of worry, especially because of what we've seen in the past about overhyping young players. Um, but I don't think anyone can deny that there's a generation of talent coming through the pipeline right now that is unlike any before in, in American soccer. And you look at where these players are going, where these players are playing, and the fact that you have multiple teenager, teenage Americans getting on the field in the Bundesliga. I mean, that just shows you that, that we're, we're in a different time right now. Um, so uh, I think I think everyone should be allowed to be optimistic, but don't get too carried away. Obviously, you don't want to get into talking about 14 and 15 year olds that, that should be playing first team, uh, you know, professional minutes and all that. But it, it is an exciting time uh, as far as that goes and, and looking ahead to to 2022. And also, we didn't even talk about it, but, you know, the U.S. is the U.S. is part of the bid that won the right to host the 2026 World Cup. And that's a huge. That was a huge moment uh, for American soccer. I mean, just to know that that is on the horizon now, and that is that that gives everyone something to look ahead to and to build toward. And all three of us work in this sport, and all three of us, uh, you know, obviously our livelihoods depend on the success of the sport overall. And I, I think we, I can, I can speak for all of us that we're all excited to to see that that happen and to know that there as 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 much as 2017 and 2018 there was this rock bottom it definitely feels like we're heading upward and we're heading toward you know coming out of this bottom and heading towards what is hopefully you know a positive period for american soccer and it's definitely great to see you guys now doing your thing at two of the bigger outlets in all of media doug doug is at yahoo uh, Paul is is at the Athletic, and and it's great to see you guys continuing to kill it as two of the absolute best in the biz. Uh, and we're just gonna keep doing that. We're just gonna keep doing our things. I'm still at Goal.com, and and we're we're gonna keep trying to cover this. And it's definitely 2019 feels like it's just gonna be a more fun year, a more fun experience because 2018. Uh, 2018 it was a little rough. I, I don't know. I don't know how you guys feel about it, but 2018 was a little rough. No doubt, no doubt, man. And uh, no, looking forward to it. A lot to a lot to look forward to. The season, the teams, um, the way the, the league is going, bringing a new expansion team off the field. The CBA negotiations that are going to be hovering over the league for the whole year. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of interesting stuff going into 19. The Gold Cup. What's this team going to look like under Burhalter? I'm excited just because the stories are there to write about. Their stories are there for us to chase. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, and and you know, I. I don't think there's any doubt that uh, 2019 is going to be a better year for all of us than uh, than, than, than 2018 was. So, uh, looking forward to it. Can't wait to get started. Can't wait to see you guys uh, on the beat along the way. All right, it sounds good, guys. And uh, obviously, we, this is this is a special year-end wrap-up slash look ahead to 2019. Uh, we 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 will not be launching a, a regular podcast, but uh, hopefully, we'll be able to get together at, at, at different points through the year uh, just to catch up on 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 everything going on. Because obviously, the three of us are are, are are super tight, and it's always great to get together and just kind of shoot the breeze and catch up on everything going on. Uh, we're I know we're all super busy, but it, it's always. It's always a good time when we can get together and and chop it up about American soccer. So definitely thanks for the time, guys, and and look forward to seeing you guys down the road. I'm sure sure we'll be hanging out pretty soon. Thanks, Ivis, and uh, Happy New Year to you and your family, man. Can't wait to see you soon. Same to you, man. Thanks. Absolutely. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Love you guys. 
that's it from us and uh, hopefully we can get together again soon and uh, have another show and I know a lot of you are looking for podcasts to listen to and I do plan on bringing the SBI show back so definitely stay tuned for that and we'll see when the three amigos can get together once again to catch up on everything in American soccer and on behalf of those guys on behalf of Doug McIntyre and Paul Tenorio I'm Ivis Kalarsek thank you for listening and have a happy new year